It's marvellous, Mayon should have backed it as the Group 1 features start to spread their way around the rest of the country uh, to look back at some uh, some highlights from Queensland and South Australia last weekend and, and a little bit of other parts of the world. Our talent this week, Chris Finuccio from News Corp and our punting expert, Philip Georgios. I'll go to you first, Chris. How are you? Hello, John. I'm going very well. Fair bit happening on the track the past week and... Yeah, this must be considered a special episode we're, we're doing. Sure is. Uh, I can't remember our scone entering the uh, the dialogue previously. What are your thoughts on that, Phil? How are you? Yeah, I thought I had a license to enter hibernation, but uh, Sands, we're back, and uh, it's good to see you both. And, yeah, looking forward to discussing uh, the racing issues and what's happening this weekend. All right, as always, we start, uh, we start with should have backed it and should have sacked it. I feel I might go to you first this week, give you the uh, opening delivery. Yeah, I don't often get the new ball, so I'm happy with that. I um, had my should have backed it at Sandown, actually. I didn't see as much of this card as I would have liked to for various reasons on Saturday. And one horse I wish I was on, my should have backed it, was Dashing in race six. It actually cost me a pretty lucrative multi in my uh, a couple of weeks back when it ran a close-up second, so... I, I, I let it go and it, it actually ended up sort of drifting out to sort of a very backable price and won quite convincingly. So I was pretty uh, frustrated with myself that I didn't just have a little crack on that, particularly given I'd been on it the start before. Uh, as for my should have sacked it, that was over in Adelaide uh, at Morfittville and it was in the Queen of the South Stakes and probably an unusual one for my sacked it, but it was agreeable, which actually ran around at about $67. So you can't get too disappointed when it doesn't um, get up. But yeah, I've been on it, I think it's entire prep this time. And I don't know if it's running out of its class or it isn't quite as good as it was before, but it's just not quite getting the job done, looming to win on a few occasions, but not running on. So uh, agreeable was my sacked it. What you got for us, Chris? Well, my should have backed it comes out of the same race as Phil, but just before before that, $81 for Agreeable. I think that was, that's a good enough reason to have uh, not backed it in the first place. But anyway, I... It actually ran an all right race. It loomed. I actually got out of my chair. It was uh, getting very exciting, but then it just yeah, peaked on its run. But I've, I'm kicking myself I didn't back the winner cast because I really liked her win the start before, and I just missed her on Saturday. I thought Foxy Frieda was probably coming out of a, um, you know, stronger Melbourne race. But, you know, that form from Cast we was confirmed later on in the program with Royal Merchant winning. And my should have sacked it is also from Morfordville in the Robert Sangster Stakes, Bella Nipatina. The risk with her was being flat after running in the Quokka. But, you know, the Mara Eustace stable have shown time and again that they can keep their horses up. But unfortunately, not this time. Now, we might stick with the Sangster. There were two Group 1s on the weekend, one in Adelaide and one, of all places, at the Sunshine Coast. We'll get there in a minute, but I'll just get your uh, your initial takes on the Sangster Stakes, a 1,200-metre weight for age sprint for fillies and mares, won by the three-year-old Ruthless Dame, who had been prepping uh, in Sydney earlier in the carnival. Uh, Phil, what do you think of it? Yeah, well, it was a pretty good race and a pretty good field this year. As uh, Big V mentioned, Bella Nipotina started favourite and probably deservedly so after its uh, prep that it has had. But yeah, it ran a bit flat and we got a bit of a blanket finished. I think Zapateo might have been in and around the mark as well. But Ruthless Dane, I think only its sixth start, three-year-old, as you mentioned, 
you'd argue the sky's the limit for that horse. It was a really powerful finish and, yeah, um, came around at a pretty good price as well for those that were uh, willing to have a crack at the three-year-old. Yeah, the other yeah the other high point of the day, uh, the Group Two Hollandale Stakes. I did say it was Group One earlier. The reason I uh, that one slipped my mind is that a lot of people seem to think that Azaki winning it for the third year in a row will elevate it. There have been some good horses win that race in the past as well. Um, Phil, on face value, do you agree with that? I mean, it's a it's only not at the Gold Coast for now because of the construction that's going on up there. I'm assuming Sunshine Coast uh, is a less highly regarded track yeah i think it's a natural progression for the race uh corbs that that would move to a group one and yeah we saw a a great race in the end i mean zaki going around at the dollar 60 expecting a dominant win but our favorite backers would have been pretty nervous for the first little while because he got stuck very wide fourth four wide for a large part of that early stage and did get around and found a nice spot in the end but it did really have to fight off where Tor and Zyreg at the end there and they they, they gapped the rest of the field but yeah definitely was a watch race a dollar sixty not going to get involved and uh, yeah, but still, still a great spectacle and to have a horse like Zaki who I still rate as one of the the you know premier horses in the country I think it went past ten million dollars in earnings with that win so um, yeah. Definitely, uh, I would love to get Big V's view actually around where he thinks Zaki sits in Australian racing. Um, I think probably started favourite in a Cox Plate, didn't quite get to the, the start line. Um, if it had gone around that day and won, we would be talking about it as a bit of a, a bit of a champion. I think. Yeah, Zaki's been an absolute star here in Australia, and even though I don't think he's at his best at the moment, he's still finding a way to win like we saw on Saturday. That was a, a really tough win. Wedor and Zyrek were both dropping back from 2,000, whereas Zaki was, you know, was stepping up in distance. But So I think Wedor and Zyrek you know, can probably can turn the tables on Zaki heading towards the Dubin Cup or the Q22. But we saw last winter where Zaki won the race, but then the campaign fell away. This time might be a little bit different because he had that delayed start to his Sydney campaign where he was first up in the all in the all age stakes, but I think Wetter and Zyrek, you can still follow them. You know they might be, you know they might be more appealing because you're going to obviously going to get Zaki at odds on again. So Wetter and Zyrek might, you know, be more appealing at each way odds in those races. All right, and the other um, we won't talk about Melbourne or Sydney last weekend. The other uh, sort of uh, Meetings to tip our hat to occurred uh, at Warrnambool, the three-day bull carnival, and then the two-day Wagga carnival. Now, I've got uh, some experience with the latter, but I might throw to you two uh, quickly for your observations on Warrnambool as a whole and uh, and whether you'd like to go there one day, starting with you, Phil. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about bucket lists later on in the show, and this is definitely on my bucket list, the three-day carnival at Warrnambool. can be a little bit tricky, I think, to get accommodation and all kinds of different things at that time. I'm sure the town is absolutely pumping during that period. But, yeah, I, I just love watching the jumps and the steeplechase and, you know, the Grand National over 5.5K, and, and it's just a it's just a, a wonderful 
looks like a really fun time, to be honest. And you do get some pretty good races in there as well, even on the flats with the Warnable Cup and other other races they have on. So, you know, you're going to see some quality racing in amongst it all as well, alongside those really, you know, premier jump races. So, yeah, definitely on my bucket list to get involved with. Gee, be nice if they ran it at a time, though, when it wasn't minus five degrees or whatever it is there. It looks terribly cold, but I'm sure a few a few beers sort that out. Well, there's a reason why it's called the May Carnival, Phil, and that's because it's in May <laughs> and that's when the weather's pretty cold. But I, I thought the, the highlight of the carnival was Rolls backing up after two days to win the Warnable Cup. Didn't see that coming and was against it. Now, for that reason, I didn't even think it was going to run in the race, but uh, I think that was just a... A fantastic performance. I, I just thought it was really, I thought it was really tough betting because at the start of the week when I was doing the form, we we're on a soft six track. And then on day one, we had that late rain and the track's gone from a soft six to a heavy 10. In the spring. Always assume heavy 10 at Warnerville, Big V. That's a punting lesson number one. Yeah, well, when you, for people who picked up the, the Herald Sun on the, the Wednesday to get the form guide, because the, the form guide had already gone to print, it was printed up as a soft six and we're racing on a heavy 10 so it did make things pretty tough but i think one of the few races i did get right was the the Wongoom with the quinella with outlaws revenge and frankie pino and i thought that was also a big run by frankie pino to run second and also outlaws revenge because i i was um a bit wary about it or skeptical about it on the heavy track but handled those conditions with aplomb and they backed up the Warnable Cup with the Wagga Cup, Corbs. And you mentioned off the top there that you've uh, been to that particular event. So uh, keen for your thoughts on that and whether you got involved. Well, I was lucky to go on this day uh, 10 years ago, 2013. So uh, what they do in Wagga, they do the Thursday and the Friday. I'm not sure if it deliberately overlaps with Warnable. I mean, the two cities are a long way apart, except alphabetically. But uh, <laughs> the uh, so they can't really share the jockeys and the, and the trainers. Uh, but it is interesting, right? So they run a cup. Obviously, they run a Queen of the, I think the Queen of the Riverina or something like that. After we had the Queen of the South in Adelaide last weekend, they run the Murrumbidgee Turf Club Guineas, and then they run a race called the Wagatown Plate, which was won once upon a time by Santa Anna Lane before it won all its Group Ones. So there is a bit of meat on the bone in Wagga. Fantastic, uh, fantastic town as well. So definitely worth uh, getting there. Although I would not suggest doing it the same year you do Warnable. Now, on that point, move to the issues of the week. We might start with you here, Phil. In the last seven days around the Australian racing calendar, there have been black type races held in Warrnambool and Wagga and the Sunshine Coast and Gosford. We're about to have some in Scone, of all places, this weekend. So it's a bit of an unusual time of year. You do still have feature races. You do have horses aiming up, and then you have some horses who are clearly trying to... Uh, salvage something from their Sydney uh, campaigns. So, look, what? how do you approach punting at this time of year? Uh, because of all the factors you've just mentioned, Corbs, it's a, definitely a case of picking your battles at this stage of the year. I think in the main carnivals in autumn and spring, you kind of get involved in most of the races and you, you're seeing some really you know, good tracks with exposed form. But at the, this stage of the year, the, the, alongside a lot of those sort of black tight races there is a lot of also benchmark races on various tracks you know big v doing the form on a soft six but you're seeing a lot of heavy tracks at this time of year so i think you've got to pick and choose your battles find the horses you like find the horses that handle the conditions and or 
uh, the tracks that you're you're betting at um, and stick with them would be my advice around this time of year. But it certainly isn't a, a time to be um, opening up the wallet too much. I wouldn't have thought just really finding those key runners that you, you want to follow. All right, Chris, your turn. I want you to tell us what the hell this news was regarding the point of consumption tax in Victoria last week. Normally, that's the sort of topic that would make eyes glaze over, but I understand it, it is one that's close to home for punters. Yeah, and I would say that a lot of the, um, just a regular punter wouldn't know too much about the what the point of consumption tax is or how it will affect them, but it's pretty much a, a tax imposed on the, the corporate bookies, which get which gets passed on to the punter through higher market percentages in the races. And I just fear that racing is going to tax itself into oblivion. And that, that might sound a bit over the top, but I think we're on the edge of the cliff at the moment because, you know, these taxes are getting passed on to the punter. It was The point of consumption tax started at 8% in Victoria, went up to 10 and has now gone to 15 I think Queensland is at 20%. So it's feasible that the other states like New South Wales, South Australia and Victoria will eventually go up to 20%. And while it may look good for you know the government to be getting all this tax money and, and it look, might look good for Racing Victoria and Racing New South Wales to get a percentage of that back to the industry, I don't think it's sustainable because it's just, I think it's just driving away punters and also impacting on turnover. And it affects, you know, the professional punters, the big punters, as well as the smaller punters. We're seeing, like, a, some people may have noticed that we're seeing fewer promotions now. And I think if we're getting higher point of consumption taxes, I think we might see, you know, the bonus bets disappear altogether. And so that means that, you know, we're engaging a lot less with the with the product because we're not getting bonus bets for second and third that we're turning over again if we're not winning as much you know we we're not gonna you know keep betting we're going to probably turn away to sports betting and also when you are winning because you're getting you know tighter odds you're not winning as much as you used to and then when you do get on a losing run it does take longer to win it back so i think the concern is that you know with these taxes, we're going to be turning punters away towards sports betting. All right, we'll have a quick look ahead uh, to this weekend. Um, so normally we record on a Wednesday. We've done a couple of Thursday records, gents. Tonight we're recording on a Tuesday, so we don't have the luxury of full fields yet, although the South Australian Derby is a full field. We might start there and then I'll get you uh, you each to comment on a couple of other races that are all in at this stage. Uh, Chris, you had a look at the Derby field? I have, and I'm surprised that we don't have more fillies in this race because I don't think the, the form of the of the boys is that strong. So I thought, you know, this race looked right for the taking for a filly. And so I think uh, she's fit second in the Australasian Oaks. Looks a really good chance. I know she's favourite. The one query I do have with her is that she's been up for a while now. She's had that campaign in WA, came to South Australia for that run in the Oaks and now has to have another one. So I think she's the one because it with the the males it does look you know pretty pretty even it looks pretty even among them so if you take out the filly i 
wouldn't be able to pick a winner in that race. Phil, surprisingly, uh, for group ones, you do, do normally get a Tuesday release. It is what it is. We can't help it. But the Doombin 10,000, just get a sort of a brief comment from you uh, regarding uh, the, the field that is being nominated. We see Giga Kick in there, one of the best horses in the country. There's a few other good weight for age horses in there as well. What are your uh, early thoughts? Yeah, well, it's hard to go past Giga Kick. It's probably arguably the best sprinter in the country. There's a, probably a couple others that might um, be able to put up an argument for that. And I don't think the field in behind it um, at this stage, not noting we haven't got final fields, uh, is the cream of the crop in terms of Giga Kick's main competitors. Um, I know I can see overpasses in the market coming off its great win over West and Af Cabinet obviously uh, has done some good things in the autumn. But Currently, Giga Kick at a dollar eighty. Uh, I suspect once we get final fields, we might see that even get wound in a little bit further. Yeah, Chris, I gave you the uh, the choice of uh, Scone or Flemington uh, this week. You were pretty convincing that you wanted Flemington. What have you spotted? Well, it's good to see the bookies are being courageous with White Marlin opening him up, opening him him up at a dollar eighty. I would have thought we might have got a bit better after he got beat at Pakenham, but. It just shows that the you know the uh, the bookies don't really care too much about what people have to say on social media and all the the comments about White Marlin being a being a cat and a milk drinker after getting beat. So <laughs> uh, I was hoping you might have got something you know closer to three dollars that might entice me to get on him because I, I think even though he got beat at Packham as a really short favourite, this was this is the grand final for White Marlin to get that spot into the Melbourne Cup. So I think he'll bounce back. But if you want to look away from the the odds on pop, he's a shocker. If he if he accepts for the race, he does have to step up to twenty eight hundred meters now. But he probably looks like a, an each way go at that six dollar mark at the moment. All right. Now, just before we go to the final furlong, a reminder that you can follow the show. A number of you do. That's why we're on this week. We've got a few requests. So uh, just have a look at the show notes for how you can get in touch with the show. There's an email address. And a Twitter handle there. All right, the final furlong this week. We've just seen the running of the Kentucky Derby or Kentucky Derby, as it's pronounced over there. We uh, we probably don't normally discuss American racing results or any form or anything like that. So we won't get bogged down in the result per se. But I'd love to know from each of you where it sits on your global racing bucket list. Phil, we might start with you. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I, I caught too much of the uh, the meeting over there in Kentucky, but it looks like an, an unbelievable spectacle. I think they got somewhere in the vicinity of 100,000 people to the races, which I guess is not too far removed from some of the uh, um, crowds that we get ourselves in the springtime, but it just looks like a lot of fun. I'd love to just see how the Americans... and um, uh, how they handle their day at the races and, and how, how they, how they you know, cheer and support the sport and all the festivities around it as well. So to answer your question, I, I think it's on a par with me with Royal Ascot. Uh, I really want to get over and experience um, the Kentucky Derby when I get a chance to. It's on a long list, though, of other sports that I'm pretty keen to get involved with in the US as well, but certainly from a racing perspective, it stands out. And Big V. Yeah, there's a few race meetings that I, I'd have ahead of the Kentucky Derby, although it does look you know, like a really of, a, of interest to, to go to. And there's a documentary I saw on Netflix on the Kentucky Derby that's worth that's worth watching as well. But at the moment, I, I've got Royal Ascot, The Ark, 
the Hong Kong International Day ahead of the Kentucky Derby. And on the, the local front, probably the, the Ballina Cup for the all-you-can-eat seafood buffet. <laughs> what a note to close on. That's going to mean absolutely nothing to any of our listeners, but uh, but valid point nonetheless. Gents, thanks for another great chat. We'll, uh, hopefully, we might even be able to get this group together again next week. Uh, happy punting, Phil. How do we uh, how do we sign off? As always, good luck on the punt and gamble responsibly. <laughs>